It is great to see each one of you. Wow, what a great crowd you are this morning. Amen? Uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, I, I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but I just feel the need to do this. You're such a talkative congregation. Look at the person beside you and say, I prayed all week that I would get to sit next to you in church. What you don't realize is that is a setup because none of you did that. And uh, when it's time for the altar time, you'll all be down here for sure, right? <laughs> hey, real quick, I just want to say a special welcome to, uh, to Pastor Mike Frick and his family who are here from Leesburg, Virginia today with us. He pastors Calvary Chapel, small church, 7,500 people, all right? So thank you, Pastor, and your family for being here today. We hope that you're blessed. Um, Go ahead, and I'll give you a head start. First of all, if you have a Uversion app, you can click on there. Go under events, click on our church. You'll be able to follow along with the scriptures. If not, we have it up here. But go ahead and go to James chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to start there. And then I'm going to eventually make my way over into Acts chapter 27. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is in the fire. Have you ever felt like you've ever been in the fire, in the heat of things, Right? When things seem to be so hot around you that you're just really not quite sure what to do. We've been there, right? If you've been there, raise your hand. All right, if you've not, raise your hand. Because I'm going to set up a counseling session with you for myself. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to look in, in James chapter 1 here in just a minute. But I'm so glad uh, that we're all able to be here today. Uh, this is a great church, isn't it? Isn't this a great church? Do you love your church, right? Some of you are like, I'm still on the, you know, I'm not quite sure whether I love this place or not, but hopefully by the end of the message you do. Uh, the, the book of James is a, a pretty powerful book, you know. I, think about this. We, we understand James, what is he? He is the, one of the, what, brothers of Jesus. Now, that can't be an easy job, first of all. I mean, imagine, real quick here, if you're a brother of Jesus and you're younger and you come home from school Mom's like, how was your day at school, James? Oh, that's great. I, I got an A, an A on the test. Jesus, what'd you do? I saved humanity, right? Tough job for James, being one of the brothers of Christ. Um, but James, he writes a letter to a bunch of people who are kind of like you and I, just normal, everyday Christians who are going through some struggles. Their struggles might be a little bit more intense than yours were, though, when you look at this letter that was written, this was written to a, a, a group of Christians who were in the heat. They were literally in the fire. I mean, they were in a, a day and age where, you know, luckily we live where we live today. We don't have to go through the persecution that many of Christ's followers are going through all across this world. But in this moment, these individuals, they, they were being stoned to death. They were being thrown into lion's dens. And James was writing this letter to be uh, an encouragement. We all need to be encouraged every day. I mean, we're, we're supposed to encourage one another. We come to church to hear an encouraging word, uh, something uplifting us. And so that's what James was doing here. But James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Have you ever had a season in your life let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a season in, in your life where it seemed like everywhere you were looking, every 
turn you came around. It was a trial. It was a problem. I mean, have you ever been there in that moment where it was like every season was a season of trial? Every season was a season of problem. Every season seemed, you know, for, for a period of time, seemed to be just difficulty after difficulty, right? Well, James says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy that you're facing these trials and these tribulations. He said this, uh, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, hold on, let me just stop there for verse 4 just a second. Let, it, let perseverance finish its course. Oftentimes, what we like to do when we're going through a trial or a struggle, we're like, I don't want it to finish its course. I want God to jump in right now and intervene and just make it stop, right? That's what we want many times. That's what we expect. Well, James kind of, he's kind of contrary to that thinking here. He's saying, finish this work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking nothing. James understands that the only way you can grow as an individual is to go through a hardship. He understands that when you go through trials and tribulations, problems, difficulties, you always come out learning something. You always come out with that, that you know, I like to say that gold nugget. All right? We'll go into verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, we're going to skip a few verses here. We're going to go right to verse 12. I find it interesting today because I got on Facebook this morning, and a lot of you, many of you in this congregation, and you don't even know what I was speaking about, started posting this scripture all over the place. Verse 12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is encouraging regular believers, just like you and I, to know that if you're going through drama, you're going through challenges, check this out. Number one, you're not alone. You're not the only individual in this room right now who's going through a struggle. Understand that. You're not stuck out in the desert by yourself with no one to help you and to give you aid and, and, and to help you along and, and to get you to where you need to be. You're not alone. You're not the only one in here who's facing a financial difficulty of some sort. You're not the only one here who you and your spouse are just not getting along. You're not the, one, the only one in this room that you're, you're having a problem when it comes to the career, when it comes to job. Some of you in this room right now, you're struggling spiritually. You barely made it through these doors today. First of all, I want to commend you for that, that you made it through the doors today. But you're not the only one. So we're to take joy in that, knowing that we're not the only one, because if I'm going through a struggle, you're going through a struggle, we can encourage one another, Amen. and we can overcome the obstacles. Amen. Number two, the second thing here is that you can understand is that um, the best reward in life is not having a life free of controversy or problems. Watch this. It's not, you know what? 
I'm going to finish this point in just a second. It's not having a life free of controversy or problems. That's not what's great about life. What's great about life is that you get through it. That you get through those difficulties. That you get through those problems. That you get through those heartaches. Apparently, James was encouraging believers. You see, after verse 12, later on in this passage in James, Jesus goes on to say this, Take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You know, I, I tend to think sometimes when I look at um, life struggles, and, and, and especially here recently as I've been uh, doing my studying with, with, with this upcoming uh, series that I'm starting today, is that maybe we were born for this. Maybe you and I were born to go through difficulties and trials and tribulations. It's not something that we want to hear. We want to know that when we, uh, when we made that commitment to God or, or that we've made that commitment to Christ, that instantly there would be no more trials, tribulations, struggles. Well, we know that's not true, don't we? Amen. We all know that that is not the case. That if you live in this world, this world is going to cause you to have problems. Or you're going to cause yourself to have what? Problems, difficulties. There's many times we face mountains and struggles and we look at them and we say, you know what, I can't get through this. I can't make it. We look at those things and they seem impossible sometimes before us. We see no end to the struggle with our children. The spouse is just not getting it. They're not getting the clue. God obviously is not listening to me. I've got the answers, right? Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. It has nothing to do with my kids, believe that or not. All right. Those of you who are visitors, I always have a story about my children. This one has nothing to do with my, this is pre-kids. All right. This is before kids. But um, Andrea and I were dating. And uh, that's my wife, if you don't know that already. All right. Andrea and I were dating. And so I was planning on asking her to marry me. All right. Anyway. So her family invited me to go on a ski trip with them to Wisp, Maryland. There's a uh, ski resort there. And in my mind, I was like, this is perfect. I, 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 I got the ring. I'll ask her there, and everything's going to be great. And it was. The story has nothing to do with the proposal, so just drop it right there. It happened there. Praise God. Now we have kids. All right? <laughs> we were, that was a quick fast forward. All right. So we're on the ski trip. I've never been skiing. So I decided not to ski. I was going to snowboard. And uh, Kyle was with us, and her mom and dad was with us. And then uh, her brother, uh, uh, Travis and Annette, and their two children, um, Carolina and Joseph, were with us. And Carolina and Joseph and Kyle, they were all about snowboard. We got a snowboard. Well, I was like, well, I'll snowboard with them. I've never done it. They've never done it either. This can't be that difficult, you know. So we, we go ahead, and, and we get there. And um, we, you know, we get signed up for the, you got to do the lesson, you know. And they put you on, it's so fake, all right? Because they put you on this little slope that there's not really even a slope. You just stand there and you just, for some reason, you just start moving a little bit. And they teach you, you know, how to turn and you got to, anyway. So I, I nailed it. That was easy. So we get on, you know, we, we were the kids did it where I was excited. Travis was with me. Many of you know Travis, some of you don't. But he was with me, and he was going to snowboard too. So we get up to the top of the mountain 
to, to our trail. And, you know, it wasn't difficult. It was easy. I'm, Travis, I lost him a long, if you know Travis, he's not the athletic. You know, I lost him a long way down the road. He ended up, I, last I saw him, he was carrying his board walking down the mountain, all right? And it wasn't that big of a deal, but anyway, he tried it. So we get down there, and, and I'm going through, you know, and I'm, I've got it going, right? I'm not getting too fast. And what I did, I was able to, you know, you got to take your board sideways and stuff. But they trick you because right at the end of the trail, all of a sudden it drops down. At the end of it to where everybody's at. Well, this wasn't the bunny slope anymore. You know what I mean? So we hit that. And I'm like, oh, my, you know, the kids are doing it easily. You know, they're like, you know, and I'm going straight ahead. It's like a bullet coming down the mountain. All right. And I turned the board sideways. And you know what happened? The front end of the lip hit and I face planted as hard as I could. So I decided from that moment on, I'm not I'm not going to try to stop. I'm just going to fall. So I'm the guy from the remainder of the next two to three days that was going down the mountain and I was just dropping. You see, boom, you know, that's rolling at the end. I could do everything, but I couldn't stop. So my sister, my soon-to-be sister-in-law at that time, Annette, has this great idea. She's the adventurous type. She's not so adventurous now, but she was then. She's like, Kevin, let's try the triple black diamond before we leave. Now, let me, let me, let me explain something. Sitting there watching it, and you see these people go down it who know what they're doing. It looks really easy. It, it looks easy. It didn't even look that steep to me. All right? So the last day of the trip, I haven't asked Andrea to marry me yet. And she's putting the pressure, not her, but, and that's putting the pressure on me to go do this. And I'm like, look, I can't back down and look like a sissy. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing, you know? So I get up there, and we're going up the, the, the lift. And I'm watching these people, and my stomach's starting to, mm, mm, I don't know. Y'all are thinking, what does this have to do with the, I don't know, but just go with it, all right? So we're going up the lift, and I'm, mm, you know. And we get up there, and Annette, you know, she's skiing. And she's done it before, probably 100 times. And she goes, all right, Kev, let's go, you know. And she gets off the lift, and she starts going down. And so I get off the lift, and all I see is not a slope. I see a cliff, right? That's what all, that's all that I saw. And in my mind, I was like, this problem is too big for me. But I have now created it, and I cannot, there's no way to get, I'm not, I think even if I tried to walk down the mountain, I would have fell, you know? So, I, well, here we go. You know, I'm going to accomplish this thing. So I get on the board, and I start downhill. Well, I didn't go left and right. I was like a bullet going down this black diamond. It was bad, you know, and I just, I, I realized it and it wasn't going to be good. So I just dropped and I rolled probably halfway down the mountain and these skiers literally coming over. Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I hop up, right? I'm fine. Everything's good. Nobody's watching this, I hope, you know, so I get back up on the board. You know, it was already, it was, the board was over there. I was over here, you know, so I had to go get the board. I got back up on it and I was like, all right, everybody's going side to side here. I can do this. You know, so I get on it and I'm going side to side. Long story short, I think I felt 15 to 20 times going down that mountain. But you know what happened? I did it. I did it. Yes, thank you. Clap for me. 
sometimes in life you might find yourself in a situation like I was in spiritually, financially, in relationships. And sometimes you put yourself in that problem like I did. And other times circumstances around you just kind of put you there. But you got to look at it and you can't just sit there forever. If you sit there forever, you'll die in your situation. But you've got to understand that I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to get through it no matter how many times I fall, no matter how many times I fail, I'm going to make my way down or over or through that mountain. James understood that. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 27, if you would. We're going to look here at Paul and... and as a recap, Paul's a prisoner on a ship. He's facing imminent death. And we're going to pick up the story when he's in the middle of the heat or he's in the middle uh, of the fight. Now, I already would have, you know, if I were Paul in this situation, um, I'd already probably been done. Okay? But this man, real, he persevered. We're going to look at verse 21 starting off. Here it says this. After they had gone a long time without food... Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Um, don't you love it when you're in a situation and somebody says, you should have listened to me first? You don't want to hear that in that moment. Yes, I know. It's gone through my mind a hundred times what you told me to or not to do. And I didn't listen. Here's Paul. He's throwing it up. He's like, look, this is what, you know. All right, here we go. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Verse 22, but now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. That's good. Only the ship is going to be destroyed. Questions in my mind flare up right away. The ship's going to be destroyed. I'm going to be okay. We're going through it. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. Now, stop there for, for a second. God could have said anything in that moment to Paul. He could have said, look, if you'll tithe more, if you'll go to church more, if you'll teach more. No, he just says this, plain and simple. Nothing tied to it. Just don't be afraid. Don't give up. All right. Verse 24. Uh, and he says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who will sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's great. Love, he brightens it up right there, doesn't he? You know, we're going to make it through it, but we're going to run aground. We're going to be shipwrecked. All right, 27 through 29 says this. On the 14th night, golly day, that's a long time. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed there were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped their anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the boat, let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Stop right there for a second. I, I, in attempt, listen to this now. These guys are trying to be clever. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors, the crew, let the lifeboats down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors 
from the bow. These guys, look, this is what happened in this story right here. They saw the problem. They saw the difficulty. And they're like, look, we know the answer. We're going to get out of this. We're going to leave everybody else on the ship to die. We're getting out. We're going to let the lifeboat over. What does that teach us? Be careful. The friends who stick it out with you versus the friends who leave you in your storm, you don't need those friends. You don't need that discouragement in your life. You see right here where some men were, they were getting out. We'll continue. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and then let it drift away. With dawn about to break, Paul called everybody together. And he says this, he proposed breakfast. Now, it's a spiritual moment when food gets involved, isn't it? They haven't ate for 14 days. There's a storm going on. And what does he say? Hey, let's eat. Let's eat. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. It's amazing to me that Paul, in the middle of this worst season ever, the worst trial that he could have, he's speaking vision and life into these people, into these individuals. That, that says something to me because when I'm going through my struggles and trials, I don't know who else might be involved or, or you know, might be watching what I'm going through. But God wants to use you and I when we're in that storm and we're in that problem, we're in that trial, whatever's going on, those who are around us are connected to us in some way, no matter how bad it might be for you, he still wants you to speak vision and life into everyone that you're connected with. I mean, Paul in this moment could have said, did I really hear from God? He could have doubted in that moment. Maybe that was me. Maybe I made all of this up because look, the surroundings around us is not looking favorable. Everything around us is saying we're going to die. We're not going to make it. But Paul is speaking vision and life into these men. Verse 35 says, after he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged, encouraged and ate some food themselves. All together, this is astonishing to me, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. It goes on to say later on in, in a, several scriptures that the ship had broken up. Now we're going to jump to verse 42. The soldiers, listen to this now, planned to kill the prisoners to pre prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. If it wasn't for Paul, the rest of them would have been dead. Paul didn't lose faith. If it wasn't for Paul, the others would have not survived. All right. Verse 43 says, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there, get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So here we go. We have a ship it's on a voyage. It's doomed. You've got Paul. He's connected strongly with God. He listens to God. God says, look, everything's going to be okay. Everybody's going to survive. 
Paul speaks vision and life into the men on this ship. At the end of the day, at the end of the problem, everyone was okay. So, number one thing here is this. When you're in the heat of the moment, you need to do this. See it coming. You see, Paul saw it coming. He knew what was going to happen in this moment before it happened. How did Paul know what was going to happen before it happened? Because he spent time with God regularly. Paul was an individual who prayed. Paul was an individual who read the word. Paul was an individual who meditated on God. He was so in touch with God that he knew that there was going to be a trial, a problem, a struggle approach him before it actually even came about. Why? Because he was in a regular routine with God. Now, how do we look at this for our own life? We need that in our own life. We need to be in the regular routine with God. Now, listen, as a pastor, I hear all the excuses that you can hear when it comes to why I don't get into the word. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. I don't have time for it. You don't see my schedule, my work, my kids. No, the real reason you're not in God's word is because you just don't plain want to be. Okay, let's face it. Because we have time for everything else in our life to find time for it, but yet we have a struggle when it comes to finding time for God's word. But when we're in the heat of the moment, we're not like Paul where he's able to speak vision and life into other individuals and be able to see his way through it and God's able to give him the instruction that he needs. No, when we don't spend regular time in, with God in prayer and reading his word and meditating upon him and worshiping and taking every advantage that we can to get closer to God, when we go through those struggles and trials and tribulations we don't come out like Paul did we come out wounded busted up dragging ourselves into the church coming to the altar asking for God to forgive us and to help us and to pick us back up again if we would start to spend time regularly with God and not give the excuse that I don't have time my schedule's too busy I got kids so do I so did Paul we must make it a priority you know, I say this not to, not, not to be so harsh with you, but I say this because some of you are going through this true battle day in and day out. You're looking at that Bible every day or you're seeing uh, mom and dad look at the Bible or you're seeing uh, your wife or your spouse, your husband looking at the Bible or, or you're hearing pastor or myself telling you about it and you feel that guilt, you feel that leading of the Holy Spirit telling you to get into it. Well, I'm gonna confirm it to you today and say it's time that you get into God's Word. Then when you're in the fire, you'll see it coming before it comes, and God will see you through it. Number two, the second thing that we need to do is see it, um, you've got to see it through. You've got to see it through. Your problem, you've got to see it through. Don't stop. Don't give up. You have no idea what God's plan is. You have no idea how God's going to get you through it. You have no idea the end result. You can't stop. You've got to keep on going. You know, I'm reminded of this. Um, anybody hot? <laughs> I am burning up. I'm reminded of this when, when I, I look at the, uh, the scripture, the passage that talks about Paul and Silas when they were in prison. 
If that were me I, or you, chances are we might have given up. At the first, first sign of ad- adversity, we might have just threw our hands up and said, you know what, I'm going to give up. I can't do this. Where's this God that I'm preaching and teaching about? Where's this God that I'm leading others to? Where's this God that I'm staying in a daily commute with? Where's this God that I'm talking to, reading his word, staying plugged in? Where is he in this moment? How can he allow me to be placed into this prison? And we read in in the scripture where they were in there and, you know, I I find it funny about the Bible because it only gives you kind of like the highlights. It doesn't give you the detailed moments. And I wondered how it really came about when they just began to start praying and praising and worshiping the Lord. You know, maybe they did go in with a little bit of negative negativity. Maybe they were frustrated in that moment. But they, 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 they realized, wait a minute, what we've been teaching and preaching, we got to show that example right now. What we've been taught by the Lord, what we've been taught by the disciples and the apostles, we've got to show it right now. And so what do they do in that moment? They begin to praise God and and and. And we understand that in the midnight hour, what happened, the, the earthquake came and the, broke the walls down and the bars set, loot, set free and, and all the prisoners, they all got to leave and, and they all came out. But what if those two gave up and didn't see it through? How would our New Testament be written today? What would have been left out? The individuals that, that were in the prison with them, what would have happened to their life? They would have stayed locked up probably the rest of the time. We don't know. You don't know what's going to happen in your life if you give up. But you'll find out if you see it through. When you're going through that problem you, and you see it through, you say, God, it's hard. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to see it through. I'm not going to give up. I saw it coming because I'm staying in commune with you. I saw it approaching because it's here now, because I'm in the thick of it, because I'm in the fire, because things are getting hard, because the pressure is coming in and I feel like the walls and the ceiling and everything around me is starting to cave. I'm going to see it through because I'm trusting in you, God. I'm believing in you. Number three is this. Actually, I can't jump to number three yet. I want us to look at Acts chapter 28 first before we get there. Verse one, please. The story continues right here. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. That's great. They're, they're great people. Paul gathers a pile of brushwood. Now, let's understand what's happened. He's been on a ship. First of all, he's been arrested. He's in prison. He's on a ship. Everything could go wrong has gone wrong. But he saw it coming. And thus far, he's seeing it through. He probably thought, okay, we're through this. I don't know what's going to happen next. God's got it under control, but all is going to be well. They ended up on this island. The people are really nice. They're really good to him. To all of them, 
they're cold, they're hungry, whatever. They get the, uh, it says that Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. What luck in this moment, right? How in the world could this happen to Paul? He's probably thinking the same thing. What in the world has just happened here? It says, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Stop right there for a second. Now, you know, <laughs> he's got it rough. A viper has bit him. He's supposed to die. And the people are, are infuriated. They're probably scared. They probably don't even want to help any longer. Because they said, oh, because of this, this guy, he must have been a murderer. And the truth is coming out now. They want him dead. The goddess wants him out. All right, let's, let's move on to verse 5. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Number three, sometimes when you're bitten by life's trials and tribulations and struggles, you see it coming. You're going to get through it. You're going to see it through. Sometimes you've got to be like Paul. you just got to shake it off. you just got to shake it off. In this moment, that's what Paul did. He said, look, God didn't bring me this far to kill me. There's a plan here. There's a purpose. And I'm just going to shake this thing off and we're going to move on. Amen. You know, in your life, there's a plan and a purpose. God hasn't taken you this far to leave you stranded in the mess you may be in right now. You're in the fire, maybe. You're in the struggle. It hurts. It's hard. You don't know whether you're coming or you're going sometimes. And maybe, maybe you're blessed enough you're not in that, but I'm going to tell you it's approaching I hate to tell you that. It's called life. It's called being a human. Those struggles are going to come. But if we're staying in God's word, and let me ask, how's your reading plan going this year? Think about it. Have you given up? Pick it back up. Get back into it. Are you going in it? Are you doing well with it? Keep it going. Don't stop. But if we're staying in our reading, if we're staying in our meditation to the Lord, if we're worshiping him, then we shouldn't have nothing. <laughs> we can see it coming. And then when we're in it, we can be reminded through the scriptures that God, well, you know what, God, I'm going to see this thing through. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. You've got a desire for my life. I'm not going to stop. We are going to see this thing through. Unfortunately for Paul, when he just thought he was out of the thick of it, it happened again. And the scripture says he just looked at it and just shook it off. Some of you need to shake some things off. You know, the other day I was, um, Wednesday night, I was here in the after service. And I was talking to Tom Derrickson and Todd Tullis. And uh, I was talking about my jeans, all of my jeans at home, okay? Listen to this. All of my jeans at home, all my knees are all wore out. It's because I got a two-year-old and a five-year-old every evening who want to get down on the carpet and we want to wrestle, all right? 
And we get down there and we wrestle. And they get down there and they're wrestling with me. And they constantly come and ask me, Daddy, can we go ahead and wrestle? Daddy, can we? Yesterday, we were outside. Daddy, can we go outside and play? Can we spend time? Daddy, come outside with us. I think to myself, if we could just treat God the same way our sons and daughters come to us wanting time, maybe some of you need to spend more time in prayer so that you can wear out some of them spiritual needs. Your life shows it. It really does. You know, we have all of this. To, I have all of this to say today. And we come here for one reason, and that is because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's face it. Without Christ, we have nothing. We're so blessed that for Paul, he saw it. That's why he persevered. That's why he didn't stop. That's why you're here today is because you've seen it. And you, maybe because you've made that relationship with Christ, you've seen it. You've experienced that joy in your life. Um, several months ago, we had a group from Liberty University here called Vision. Maybe, maybe, maybe of you may remember them. And uh, there was a guy by the name of John who brought forth a message uh, that Sunday morning. He did a fantastic, uh, fantastic job. But since then, jo uh, John has gone on to make a couple videos. And uh, many of you have probably seen one this week on Facebook, but I'm going to play it here in just a moment. Uh, but the, the message that he brings across is, is very, very powerful. Um, Brad Tullis, our, our own Brad Tullis, did the music for it. So really proud of him for that. But I want you guys to listen to this video for a second. Go ahead. Well, do you know him? He's a mountain melter. His eyes are burning fire. His feet are burnished bronze. He's a consuming furnace. His hair is white as wool. His voice roars like rushing water. He is a lion of Judah, and he is my father. Do you know him? He's a star breather, a soul redeemer, a life giver, and a life taker. Is he your savior? owns all things and to him alone all creation sings. He's the God of compassion who has substituted himself to take upon my thrashing. He transcends time. He's unstoppable and unattainable, untaintable. My God is a beast and he has unleashed his love upon his reckless child. He's the God of my life, the God who sees me and is with me, Emmanuel. Well, who is he? He's a just judge, a God of mercy and grace. He's a God whose wrath will destroy all that's in its path. He's the Lord of love. He sent his son down from heaven above. He's captain of the conquerors and king of the cosmos. He's head of the heavens. He surpasses all legends. He's a righteous God, holy, perfect, and blameless. It's in him alone that are found shameless, chainless, but not nameless. He's the God of all science, but his existence cannot be silenced. The rocks will crowd if they have to. And he continuously provides for every living creature. And he knows all of your features, from every hair on your head down to every gene on your DNA strain. He knit you together. You are the beautiful work of his hands. His hands, they were pierced for you. They love you, they uphold you, and they will comfort you. 
endure as pottery in the hands of a skillful potter. He will see your molding all the way through. He is good. He is light. He is unchanging and everlasting. He is the great God. His Son is the only gate. He is the greatest treasure in all of heaven. He is triune, the God who communes. The intimacy that can be experienced in Him is unfathomable. He is the only true source of joy and rest. He moves our sin as far as the east is from the west. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is undefeated and unconquered. The tomb couldn't conceal Him. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He is a living God of resurrection power. He's the great I am. I am indescribable. Now, these aren't just a list of memorized facts, but a partial description of God that causes us to react. You see, it's His goodness that leads to repentance. It's His grace that produces gratitude and growth. It's His presence that produces peace and praise. It's because He's sovereign that I am stress-free. It's because He's my Savior that I am His slave. It's because of my commander that I will wage war. It's because of who he is and all that he's done that my life exists to reflect his son. So I will stand in this world as a mirror, allowing our connection to be displayed through my projection. So Jesus is saying to you and I, so go ahead and stand with me this morning. Christ is saying this, take heart, because I've overcome the world. He's overcome the world. These next few moments are going to be critical for you in your life. Because I want you to be honest for a moment with yourself. I want you to be honest with you, because in the end, you're answering for your actions, your decisions, you. Take heart, Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. The world. The problems, the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, the letdowns, the confusion, the heartache, the hurt, the shameful, Take heart because Jesus has overcome all of that. Maybe you're in the fire. Maybe you're feeling it today. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been feeling it for some time and you haven't admitted it to yourself. Admit it. It's okay. It really is. It's okay to admit that I failed. It's okay to admit that I'm struggling. It's okay to admit that, God, I'm just not really interested in your word. And my prayer needs to be, Lord, make me interested in your word. It's okay to admit that. See, we, have, we serve a God that's full of grace and love and compassion. We don't serve a God that looks at your every action that's so judgmental upon you that says, I'm going to release my hand of grace off of your life because of your actions. That's not the type of God that we serve. He's not the type of God that says, I once allowed you to be my hand, but today I'm gonna to pluck you from it. That's not the type of God that we serve. 
He's the type of God that like we read and that we read in, in, in the gospels with the prodigal son, where the father saw his son from a distance. It said from a distance. And the father didn't stay at the house. What did he do? He ran to him. He ran to him. God sees your hurt, your problem, your struggle. He sees that you didn't see it coming. He knows that you haven't seen it through. And it's obvious that you're not shaking it off. But you know what? He's still running to you. He's saying, I still got you in the grip of grace and I am not letting go. So you might be in the fire, but God is reaching his hand and he's saying, I'm gonna pull you out if you would just let me. I'm gonna pull you out if you would just, all you gotta do is just reach that hand to me and I'm gonna pull you out of that shame. I'm gonna pull you out of that hurt. I'm gonna pull you out of that just mundane because you're just going through life and you're feeling nothing. He says, I, you know what? I can pull you out of that and I want to. But what it comes down to is you and me. Do you want him to do that? Do you want God to be that God like he was to Paul in that moment? And, and, and say, you know what? I'm gonna see you through this. We're gonna get through this together. And when you think you got through it and something else attacks you, I'm gonna help you shake that off because greater are the plans I have in you than the plans this world will ever have for you. That's what God's saying to you this morning to your life. So my question today is this, and you need to be honest with yourself, is are you in the fire? Are you in the thick 